Hello, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. This is the sermon for Sunday, March 15th, 2020, the third Sunday in Lent. The sermon is entitled, Jesus Gives Life, and is based on John, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It was preached by Pastor Carl Copel. Mercy and peace be yours this day in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Text for the message is our gospel reading, especially these words from Jesus. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We pray. Oh God, you come to us and call us to be your own, and so we are thankful that you go to great lengths to give us life. You give us your life. And as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. Researchers uh, created a sort of commonplace scenario. We would have a group of people, they would play a game, a frivolous game of catch, uh, tossing one ball to another, uh, trying to keep it aloft, uh, but, but one member of the group would never have the ball tossed their way. And so try to put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Uh, you're in a group that starts a game of catch, and, and the ball popcorns randomly around the group, and, and there are all the giggling and frivolity ensues, and, and you keep waiting for your chance for the fun right? But the ball never comes your way. You're patient at first. You, you smile when others smile. Maybe, maybe you inch a little further into the circle, maybe to draw attention to yourself. Your smile then becomes a little bit more forced because you conclude eventually balls never come in your way. This isn't for you. You pretend you don't want to play anymore. You, you stop trying. And as the researchers uh, discovered that this ostracized person testifies to an increased sense that life is meaningless, being a devoid of purpose. Now imagine this is an, an experiment. Imagine that this is the shape of a life. Instead of waiting for the ball to come your way, maybe in, in a silly game of catch, maybe you're waiting for someone to call, someone to drop by, someone to speak your name. You can't even express it. You're hungering for some sign that you are known, but no one calls. No one asks how you're doing. No one listens to your thoughts about the news. You're alone. Loneliness is a societal epidemic, and, and we're sort of seeing some of that now as we're looking at this whole uh, COVID-19 thing. But uh, the, the researchers, the one study from the U.K., although I think the U.S. is a similar picture, they concluded that 17% of older people interact with family, friends, or neighbors less than once a week. Wow. While 11% do so less than once a month. It's linked to cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and according to some re researchers, its effect on mortality is similar to smoking and worse than obesity. One study revealed that it can increase the risk of an early death by, near, by as much as 30%. A strong link between isolation and poverty 
having one or two more close friends reduces the likelihood of poverty by nearly 20%. Hmm. Well, she lived over 2,000 years ago. We don't know her name. (laughs) But what do we know? We know that she was descended from a race of people who intermarried with the foreigners that invaded her country. We know that she was one of those who believed that God's holy mountain was Mount Gerizim, worshipped in a temple that they had built there, rather than the temple that was on Mount, built on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. She was a member of a nation that sometimes plotted with the enemies of the Jews of Judah, and so they were hated by their southern cousins, lived in a region of the world which most of us have never been to, and, and uh, from a city that most of us have never heard from, heard of a Samaritan woman from Sychar. The gospel writer tells us uh, a bit about what kind of woman that she was. So there's a strong sense of the, uh, the unusual here in the story. One of the first things we note is that she goes to a well to draw water at a strange time of the day. John tells us it was midday when Jesus sat down by the well. He was tired and thirsty after a long trip. Nobody went to the well at high noon. <laughs> After all, it was the hottest time of the day. Women of the town went down at sundown because it was cooler. They would all meet at the well. They would tell stories of what happened during the day. They would catch up on the latest news, but but not this woman. She went at noon. She went at that time because she was thirsty, but also for another reason. She wanted to be alone. She had heard the whispering. She had seen the looks and the the snickering among the other women the last time that she went to the well. And she really didn't want to be hurt again. She wanted to be alone. And why did she want to be alone? Well, we find out later in the readings. Been married five times, and uh, she was living in a de facto relationship. Living with a partner may be acceptable arrangement in our day, but, but not in the society in which Jesus lived. She was a sinner. Uh, to sin means to miss the mark, right? To fall short of a standard. And so she had fallen short of her personal standard. She had fallen short of the standard of the culture in which she lived. She had fallen short of the religious standard. She had fallen short of God's standard. And she knew it. It's no wonder the tongues were wagging when she came to the well. I mean, it's no wonder that she no longer wanted to come. And she wanted to come alone probably feeling pretty bad about her life and feeling ashamed and cut off. She just wanted to be alone. Does that feeling, does that situation feel similar to you, familiar to you? Can you relate to that? (laughs) I know I can. I mean, whatever our sin is, right, whether it be lying or outbursts of anger, Jealousy, maybe it's a critical or judgmental spirit. Maybe it's gossiping or, or, or being uncooperative or giving into temptation too easily. Or, or maybe it's something else. It's, it's something that weighs heavily upon us. And we feel ashamed and we want to hide. Doesn't that sound like the reading from a few weeks ago? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After they had disobeyed God's instruction to not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And as soon as they had eaten, they were ashamed. And what do they do? They hid from God. 
They, they felt separated from God. They didn't want to face his judgment. They wanted to be alone. And that's no different with us, right? When we sin, we fall short of God's standard. We, we fail ourselves. We feel ashamed. And we want to pull away. And just as God went out of his way to look for Adam and Eve in the garden, calling out, saying, where are you? Jesus went out of his way to meet the woman at the well. Now, before our reading, the the gospel writer said, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. And, And to understand what's being said here, we need to know a little bit of geography. The Jews lived south of Samaria in Judea, and north of Samaria in Galilee. And so when traveling on foot, shortest uh, route is often the best, but not in this case. No Jew would take the shortest route and travel and cut through Samaria because of their hatred for the Samaritans. They would always take the longer trip and skirt around the Samaritan border. It would be like, uh, maybe it would be like us taking a trip to Wisconsin from here, right? Uh, and because we like to dislike the people of Chicago, we go ahead and head west, right, and go through Rockford to Calb, and then head back into Wisconsin and head back to uh, the lake, right? Maybe on a bigger scale. <laughs> it sounds silly, but that's what happened. Remember I said earlier, there's this sense of the unusual, abnormal in John's gospel. And here we see it again. There's a Jew that goes to Samaria. John says Jesus, a Jew, a rabbi, had to go through Samaria. He decides to go against the, the social norm. He goes to, against the, the devout religious traditions of his day to purposefully make contact with sinners. So Jesus leaves Judea, takes the short route, cuts through the city of Sychar with his disciples. Why? Because there is this sinful, shameful, separated woman that he's got to find. And because there's also a whole nation of sinful, separated, shameful, and despised people across that border in Samaria. He goes out of his way to find those people. Sinful and separated people. He goes out of his way to find you and me. At the well, we're faced with the the unusual and abnormal because no self-respecting Jewish man would be seen talking to a woman alone let alone a Samaritan woman with some suspect morals. And no Jew would drink from a vessel that's unclean, especially one that was been used by a Samaritan. But but it's interesting, Jesus isn't bothered by any of these things. In fact, he's teaching his disciples a valuable lesson here. God loves the Samaritans too. That Jesus died and rose for all people. That God wants all people to be part of his kingdom. That God loves all people regardless of race or gender or background or morality. Jesus is teaching his disciples that even Samaritans can be saved. And for for this to happen, they must make contact. I imagine the whole scene was a little disturbing for the disciples when when they came back to Jesus. and, And they were challenged then to see God's bigger picture. Jesus had come to save Samaritans. And if even the Samaritans can be saved, then so can Romans and Greeks, the tax collector, the prostitute, the thief, all those folks who wouldn't normally associate with because of their morals and their way of life. That might mean breaking with some prejudice that we might have. 
This might mean stepping a little bit more out of our comfort zone. This might mean going where they are and meeting them. Whatever it takes to make contact and share with them the love of Jesus, their Savior. Here we have Jesus at a well with a woman that the disciples wouldn't have even been seen dead with, right? I mean, it's not that Jesus doesn't know about her, right? He can see in her heart. He can see her pain. He can see the things that she yearns for, the, 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 the thirst that yearned for understanding, the, the thirst that yearned for kindness and acceptance and forgiveness, the, the, the thirst that yearned for the assurance that God's love was for her and not lessened in any way. She tries to hide from him, but he knows. He knows. And that's what makes the story even more unusual. As a Jew, Jesus should have avoided her, maybe even calling down God's judgment on her. On her. Instead, accepts her, accepts her not because she's good, not because she has her life all straightened out. He accepts her because he is love. Jesus accepts sinful, shame-filled, separated people. I read a story that shortly after the Korean War, a Korean woman had had an affair with an American soldier and got pregnant, and he went back to the United States, and she never saw him again. Gave birth to a little girl. This little girl, though, looked different from the Korean children because she had light-colored hair, curly hair, and in that culture, the children of the mixed race, they were not treated well. They were ostracized by their community. In fact, Sometimes women would kill their children because they didn't want them to face that kind of rejection. But this woman didn't do it. Instead, she tried to raise her little girl the best she could, and she tried to do that for seven years until the rejection was just too much. And then she did something that probably no one in this room would imagine doing, but she abandoned her little girl to the streets. Ruthlessly taunted by people, they they would call her the ugliest word in the language, uh, Tuki, which means alien devil. And it, and it didn't take long for this little girl to draw the conclusions about herself based on the way people treated her. Two years she lived on the streets until she finally made her way into a, uh, an orphanage. One day at the orphanage, uh, word came that there was an American couple that was coming in, and, and they were coming in to adopt a little boy. And so all the children in the orphanage got excited because, boy, at least one little boy was going to have hope. He was going to have a family. And so this little girl spent time, spent the day cleaning up the little boys, giving them baths and combing their hair, wondering which one would be adopted by the American couple. The next day the couple came, and, and this is what the girl recalled. She said, it was like Goliath had come to life. I saw a man with huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew if he could, he would have taken the whole lot home with them. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, she said, I was nine years old. I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms and lice in my hair, boils on my butt all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me. He began rattling away something in English, and I looked up at him. He took his huge hand and laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This 
is the child for me. Jesus accepts sinful, shame-filled, separated people. He says this to this woman, and he says it to you and me. He says, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you life. I want to give you myself. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. At the end of the conversation, he tells her, I am the Messiah you've been looking for. I am the one who can forgive your sin. I am the one who can set you free. I am the one who can give you eternal life. There's an extraordinary thing happening here at the well. In the midst of her sin and shame and separation, Jesus says, I want to give you life. I want to give you living water. I want you to be free of your sin. I want you to live forever. Now, the woman didn't go to the well looking for God. She may not have even known that she needed him, but he found her. It's when Jesus finds us, gets personal with us, that we realize we have a need. A lot of times we would prefer to sort of sweep our our weaknesses and sins under the carpet, right, and forget about them. But to do that means God's judgment. And the Lord zeroes in on us. He touches our vulnerable spots, doesn't he? He touches our anger, our jealousy. He touches our, our incredible need to be in the spotlight, right? Or, or maybe it's, uh, uh, it touches our unkind criticisms. Maybe it's our vindictiveness. Maybe it's our neglect of God, His Word and worship. Whatever it is, He gets personal. It's embarrassing. Brings everything out into the open and helps us realize our need for forgiveness. Our guilt and our failure is highlighted. He wants to make us well again, and He does. He gives us forgiveness for our sin. He gives us a fresh start, a new beginning. Not just once, but every day. He gives us that restored relationship with God who gave us His Son on the cross. He gives us a place in heaven to be with God forever. He gives us a certain hope of the life after the life after death. Right? The certainty of being in God's presence in the new heaven and new earth, the resurrection. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to make changes in our lives and start living as one of God's saved people. You know, just like the Samaritan woman, we all have uh, all kinds of secrets hidden away, things we're ashamed of. And yet Jesus still loves us. He still wants us to be his disciples. He still wants to forgive us. He still wants to give us fresh starts. So when we get to Good Friday, we're going to recall again and celebrate and thank God for the length to which he, he went to give us all of this because we know that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that Jesus gives us life. He gives us his life. And for that, we are thankful. Amen. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. You can find this and other podcasts by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings.